You're not gonna have good air quality when you have that many facilities that are spewing out hundreds and hundreds of pounds of noxious chemicals. Uh, I mean, poison. I mean, they're really just poisoning the air. Our recycling rate in this country is not great. So there's always a lot of recyclables in the trash, you know, potentially more recyclables in the trash than are in the recycling stream. So they've always been burning recyclables that are in the trash. I think somehow along the way, they tried to change the dictionary definitions and the source definite uh, connections and what have you. But compliance doesn't mean safety. It just means this is what level the EPA accepts for you to die a little slower. Thank you for joining us today. I'm David DeMarco, and I'll be your guide as we begin to wade through Chester's story. Each episode of this podcast starts with a collection of voices and how those voices relate to Chester's story. And don't worry, we'll meet these folks soon, but every story has a main character, and it's about time you meet this one. Uh, my name is Zuline Mayfield. I'm the chairperson of Chester Residents, concerned for quality living, um, lifelong resident of Chester, an everyday citizen, not an environmentalist. Um, I'm just somebody who's very um, scared for my community in, in light of us living with the largest incinerator in the country. We are in a fight for our survival. We deal with the smells, we deal with the trucks, we deal with the overall um, unsureness about what's happening to our lives every day and to our children. Um, and that's why we fight, um, push back on them continuing to poison us. So I think that um, Sometimes when I come here and I see the kids playing, one part of me wants to say, oh my God, where's the bubble at that I can put you in, in this community so that you're not poisoned to death? And the other part of me is like, I take joy in it because they're kids. And you see them just happy despite everything. And they have to be given a chance to live. It's a fight for these children here. And that's what we do. I met Zeline Mayfield outside of her old house on Front and Highland Avenue. We took refuge in the shade under a winding oak tree and sat curbside for our interview. 
The singing birds and biking kids can somehow make you forget that you're resting just yards away from the country's largest trash incinerator. It's a community. It's where people live. It's where children play. It's concrete. It's urban. It is a city. And, but this is our environment. No, it's not the Redwoods, it's not the Beluga Wells, but it is our environment and it deserves to be saved also. Our quality of life should not be diminished because of other people's comfort on how they dispose of their trash. Chester exists in this constant battle between nature and industry. The polluted air, the stench, the noise, the trucks, all constantly attacking your senses. Yet, as Zuline said, it's an environment and there's life. The birds, the homeowners, the kids, all adapting and living out their lives. Industry and humanity intersect wherever you go, but in Chester, that relationship can blur. Zuline and I were sitting on the curb while kids played basketball on the street. Over the course of our hour-long interview, those kids were forced to evacuate the street eight times before a trash truck came barreling down the narrow street. These kids told me that this happened so frequently that they pulled money to paint caution signs for the truck drivers. When I asked the kids where the signs were, they pointed at the street corner. The painted wooden signs, once saying, please slow down, destroyed from being run over. The white mural on the road saying, slow down, kids at play, smeared by the tread marks of speeding vehicles. Chester residents have fought the Delaware Valley trash incinerator since it opened its doors more than 20 years ago. Zeline was the first person to live right next to the facility and has been on the battlefield since the very beginning. Despite decades of protests, the incinerator still stands while Chester maintains some of the highest rates of asthma and cancer in the state. But for as long as Chester is still burning, as will the flames of activism. So, you know, we fight. We fight because we don't have no fucking choice. Well, these kids deserve the fight. And it's, it, it is a, um, it looks like it's an impossible battle, but I don't believe that. I believe we can shut that place down. If I think we couldn't shut them down, I wouldn't do this. If I didn't think that these children were worth it, my little baby niece is worth it, I wouldn't do this. I could fade into black. But somebody got to be on the battlefield. And it takes all of us to do it. Chester is a city on the outskirts of Philadelphia. It's home to about 34,000 residents and encompasses no more than five square miles of land. The city contrasts heavily from its surroundings at nearly every level. While Chester is located in Delaware County, one of the wealthiest counties in Pennsylvania, Chester is one of the state's poorest municipalities. Whereas the county's poverty rate is 8%, Chester's is 31. The city is also predominantly black. While the county is 69% white, Chester is 85% non-white. More than 20 years ago, Westinghouse Electric Corporation opened one of the U.S.'s largest trash incinerators less than a block from Chester neighborhoods. And since then, ownership of the plant has switched hands a couple of times and is now owned by a company called Covanta. But despite these changes in ownership, Chester residents have consistently experienced some of the highest rates of asthma and respiratory cancer in the state. For context, the Asthma and Allergy Foundation of America states that the national rate of childhood asthma is 8.4%. Yet recent numbers show that 38.5% of children in Chester have asthma. 
Zolina argues these numbers are even wider in impact. Nobody compiles actual data of how many school-aged children, how many days they are unable to go to school or complete a full day of school because they have an asthma attack or an asthmatic episode. Let's talk in terms of our seniors and how you attack their health. Nobody quantifies the overall health of the community. If the health was poor before you came and you add this type of an assault to it, where you're releasing arsenic, cadmium, mercury, and lead, and particulate matter into our air. Nobody is looking at that data. We don't need to look at the data. We don't have to be scientists, statisticians. We know what they're doing to us. We, know, we feel it. If you sit here for an hour, you'll feel it. You'll feel it in your eyes, your nose, your throat. Now, as I mentioned, I had never been to Chester prior to this interview, and when I arrived, I was immediately skeptical. Everything I had read and been taught about Chester depicted it as a gloomy urban center engulfed in smoke and smog, yet I parked in an incredibly sunny neighborhood with clear skies. I hopped out of my car and while, yes, you could see smokestacks from most directions, the air didn't seem particularly toxic. Fast forward 15 minutes, Zuling was mid-sentence when I got hit with a wave of an intense putrid smell. As quickly as it rose, it faded. This happened several times, and while it was annoying, it wasn't the worst. But everything changed around an hour in. My throat became sore. It's the kind of feeling you have when you're in a damp apartment for too long and you've been breathing in too much mold. My eyes started to itch and the stench became more constant. Chester seemed fine at first glance, but I could not imagine living there in the long term. So I agree with Zuline, you don't need a scientist to come to this conclusion, but let's look at the data anyway. An overabundance of just one of these chemicals can have devastating effects on human health. Lead poisoning can cause brain defects, sulfur dioxide can cause respiratory disease, and particulate matter can expedite heart disease. To get an idea of how heavily the Chester incinerator pollutes, I compared the emission rates of each of these pollutants to those of a fossil fuels plant one town over in a place called Marcus Hook. It wasn't even close. Chester's incinerator pollutes, at the very least, two times more of each of these three pollutants than the fossil fuels plant. In some cases, such as sulfur dioxide, that disparity can be as high as seven times greater. This one incinerator outpollutes more than any other permitted energy or waste facility in Chester at every one of these levels. Additionally, recent reports show that this incinerator emits more particulate matter than any other of its kind in the nation. Now let's put this stat into context. According to chemistry and toxicology expert Dr. Paul Conant, even small and brief exposure to particulate matter can cause serious heart and lung problems. So cascade these numbers over the 20 plus years the incinerator has been operating, and it is easy to see why Chester has severe air problems. These problems, however, extend far beyond public health. According to Zeline, the incinerator has done more harm than good for Chester's economy. If you look around in this community and you look just in this block alone, abandoned house, abandoned house, abandoned house. This is abandoned. That house was abandoned. So what has happened is you come and you diminish the quality of life so bad where people can't sit outside because of the smells and the noise. Our schools are still the worst. The roads are being torn up. You've destroyed the foundation of every house 
in this neighborhood and the communities where these trucks roll at. So what is the benefit? These are all porch homes. In the morning, you would see people sitting out drinking coffee, uh -huh. waving to their neighbors, but either because of the noise, the truck, the diesel fumes, or the smells from the incinerator, it's warm, but even on warm days, people open their windows. People don't open windows around here. No. Because all of that dust, the fumes, and, and, and the stuff, a film gets on your, your furniture and on your clothes. So quality of life diminished. When the incinerator first pitched itself to the community, it presented itself as the golden solution to the city's economic problems. Back in the early 20th century, especially around World War II, Chester was a bustling and financially stable port on the Delaware River. But once the 70s came around, Chester's lucrative manufacturing firms fled the city. Slowly, waste management facilities like the incinerator crept in to promise financial salvation. New business is always an attractive selling point, but for Westinghouse and now for Covana, it didn't last. When this, when this incinerator was brought about, they actually had a community host agreement. Part of it said that the jobs that would be generated or created from this incinerator would go to Chester residents. At their highest point, they've only reached a level of 13%. Recent Covanta representative said that Although there's a community host agreement, say somebody lives 30 miles away, it is unfair for them not to be able to get those jobs. But you're poisoning the residents of Chester. I was able to ask Covana how many Chester residents they currently employ. Their answer? Six. While residents haven't reaped the benefits of the incinerator, clearly neither has the city. Even after the waste industries moved in, Chester's economic struggles persisted. Several more projects were pitched to the city as their economic salvation, most notably a casino, a prison, and even a professional soccer stadium. And just like the incinerator, none of these alleviated Chester's financial situation. In fact, in 1995, the city filed for what's called Act 47 in Pennsylvania, where the state provides the municipality financial assistance to prevent bankruptcy. The seemingly desolate and unattractive state of Chester's economy raised eyebrows in the community. Because why would these industries even choose to come here? Well, it turns out that waste companies usually move into areas with a particular list of attributes. And Chester checked all the boxes. At its inception, it was environmental racism. It, it was racism that brought it here. It was racism that thought they could come unopposed, unfeathered, untouched. It, it was racism that makes them stand up. How dare you question our operations? How dare you? You little poor black community. Well, we beg to differ. We beg to differ. Chester is the textbook example of environmental racism. This is the idea that industries will target disadvantaged communities of color to site their polluting facilities because they are the path of least resistance. No one wants to live next to a trash dump. So companies seek out communities that won't put up as much of a fight when they apply for a permit to make one. This is called the path of least resistance. And if you're skeptical that companies would actually behave this way, the phenomenon is actually well documented. In 1984, anti-waste activists got their hands on what's called the Serral Report. 
a consulting firm called Serral Associates drafted a 90-page document advising incineration companies on ways to, quote, overcome public opposition. The report was titled, Political Difficulties Facing Waste-to-Energy Conversion Plant Siting. The report states that incinerators should seek out areas with the, quote, least resistant communities. But they didn't stop there. They then listed what those communities are. According to their research, they said companies should target communities where the average education is high school or less, is low income, and has high rates of Catholic residents. So while it isn't explicitly said, all three of these criteria are clearly predatory and fall disproportionately on racial lines. And look, as someone who would live in an area of, quote, high resistance, I can see why people bought into this study. As I mentioned before, I live 10 minutes away from Chester in a wealthy white suburb. There are so many wealthy, well-connected lawyers, doctors, and businessmen in my community that if there were ever a permit for a waste incinerator, that proposal would be dead on arrival. My township throws a fit when a parking lot is built, let alone a trash incinerator. Those same resources and organizing experience are far less prevalent in Chester. What results is nearly all of Delaware County's trash being burned in Chester rather than where I live. Instead, I grew up taking out the trash to the curb and never knew it was going directly to Chester to be burned. And while this was surprising for me, it may be even more shocking for you, the listener. The Chester incinerator burns trash not just from Delaware County, but from Philadelphia, New York, New Jersey, Ohio, Virginia, and even as far as Puerto Rico. If you are listening on the East Coast, there is a sizable chance that something you threw away today is on its way to Chester. In fact, for most of the 2000s, Pennsylvania has been the number one importer of garbage in the country. That gum wrapper you threw out today could end up vaporized in a Chester resident's lungs. Environmental racism is not necessarily openly racist CEOs targeting people of color out of pure hate. Environmental racism is taking in trash from wealthy white townships all down the East Coast and choosing to burn it in the poorest and least white community in all of southeastern Pennsylvania. And environmental racism is finding a black community that already had a pollution problem from a clustering of waste industries, citing a plant there, and claiming they'd be different. At the end of the day, this is a matter of privilege, and Zulina has a message to all those who shrug this issue off their shoulder. We all, at some point or another, have been driving our cars and been stuck behind a trash truck. Just imagine it. Imagine it's a nice spring day, or even if it's the dead of winter. But let's say it's a nice spring day, you got your windows down, you're chilling, you're listening to your music, and oh my God, you're stuck behind a trash truck on the highway or in the streets. The only fucking thing you ever want to do is get away from that fucking trunk. Because it's obnoxious. It assaults your, your, your senses. You're watching stuff drip off of the back of that trunk. You don't want it on your car. You don't even want to drive through it because it's going to splash up on you. Imagine being behind that trunk. Imagine you're stuck. Now imagine that trash truck is an incinerator. That's where you live at and you can't get away from it. Because you're stuck. Don't talk about mobility if you don't have the income. Don't talk about mobility when this is my home. This is my home. I don't care what anybody else, how they view it aesthetically, what they think about the people. 
this is our home. Our home. And we deserve and we have the right to live unpolluted. One of the arguments against environmental racism is that it's not intentional and that these types of facilities end up in Black communities coincidentally. If you look at Chester in a vacuum, then sure, this incinerator's placement could be a coincidence, but the world isn't a vacuum and Chester is not alone. There may be a town like Chester near you. If race didn't matter, this trend would be very hard to explain. Whether Covana is targeting communities of color or not, Black Americans are breathing in a disproportionate share of pollution because of Covana's choices. Chester's story of environmental injustice is part of a much larger and older web of institutional racism in the United States. Institutional racism is the idea that resources, power, and opportunity in our society are not distributed fairly to people of color. So this is not one instance of a white kid using a racial slur. It's larger than that. Institutional racism is, as the EPA finds, when you are nearly two times more likely to live next to a waste facility if you are born black in America. And if that stat doesn't mean much to you, consider that we currently live in a pandemic that targets compromised respiratory systems. Then consider why NPR reports that black Americans' COVID death rate is nearly two times higher than whites. Institutional racism is when even an indiscriminate virus can fall on racial lines. It seems that no matter what the issue is, Chester doesn't have room to breathe. People who have the, 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 the luxury of time and comfort, they can pick and choose the battles that they want to be in, okay? Those who are uh, more comfortable time-wise, more comfortable economically, they pick and choose the battles that they want to be involved in. We didn't get to pick this shit, okay? And we don't have a choice as to our survival. So, yeah, it's a long battle. They usually generally are. Black people in America, everything, our suffering is long. And our fight is longer. Rights are being taken away across the board for people of color. Okay? So we're supposed to shrink into the abyss? We're supposed to accept it? Because that's the way of life? Anything man-made will never stand. That shit, that incinerator was man-made. And everything man makes eventually comes down. Thank you for listening to episode one of Chester is Rising, the investigative expose. Next episode, we'll be traveling back in time. For 100 years, the city of Chester fell subject to one of the country's most corrupt political machines. Join us as we trace the machine's impact on Chester and how it led Zuleen Mayfield to champion groundbreaking Supreme Court cases. Writing and reporting for this podcast was produced by The Voice You're Hearing Right Now. I want to extend a big thank you to Shelby Rowe Productions for editing this episode. Y'all are killing it. Big shout out as well, of course, to Tristan Schneider and the whole Out of Sight Stories team. Your support on this project has meant everything, and I am very, very thankful. Keep doing what you're doing to bring the environment back in mind.